The complete story by numbers is available in audiobook, ebook, and print at cinematicore.com. The world of story is at war. It's a bloody, messy, ugly slaughter with hyperbole, ad hominem, and exaggerated metaphors slung across the battlefield like limbs from a wood chipper. The story wars are divided into two sides the Panzer Nation versus the Plotter Tribes. Those who write by the seat of their pants and those who meticulously plot out the story before writing it. It's an ancient war with roots in hermeneutics and literary interpretation. Today, the war is fought on the highland plains of social media, writing groups, the self-help book market and the brutal dregs of pitch fests and writing conventions. Don't get caught with your logline dangling from an ambiguous verb in one of these places, or you'll find your premise gutted in the alley and left to bleed out. Depending on the venue, some writers can get pretty goddamn vitriolic about the process. I've seen decades-old friendships erupt into fits of furious rage, then scorch themselves to cinders over whether all stories need a character arc. They don't, by the way. Or whether professional writers should use we see in a script. They can if they want, and often do. George R. R. Martin is notorious for trying to church up the division by calling plotters architects, because they develop a kind of blueprint before they write their story, and pantsers gardeners, because you just plant the seed and watch it grow to see where the story goes. Proving that Martin has never planted a garden in his life, a serious gardener plots her garden out just as meticulously as any architect. The crux of this literary melee boils down to one simple concept. Do great writers plan out their stories, or do they discover them as they write? So, what is the primary objective of the story wars? Like any war, they're trying to claim sacred territory as their own. And that territory is Story Mountain. Each side wages relentless campaigns of slaughter, clawing their way to the summit to plant the flag. At the top, you'll find other flags from previous campaigners. Great billowing banners flailing in the wind like dragon tails. Banners reading, A farewell to arms, To kill a mockingbird, The Sopranos, The catcher in the rye, Frankenstein, If Beale Street could talk, Of mice and men, Taxi driver, Midnight's children, The Count of Monte Cristo, A song of ice and fire, The wire, The shining, Breaking bad, Crime and punishment, And so on and on and on. So, let's take an overly reductive strawman view of each tribal claim to see why the story war persists. The Panzer Nation believes that great story emerges from the unconscious, or soul, or muse, or whatever metaphor embodies intuition. And when you train yourself to listen to it, you don't compose a story, you unveil it. Panzers believe great writing cannot be taught, but must emerge as a revelation from a chosen vessel. It operates on the talent paradigm. You're either born with the gift, or fuck off, you're not a real writer. The writer is simply a conduit, labouring to keep herself open and sensitive enough to speak the words that breathe the story to life. In the Panzer Nation, you are not just a writer or an artist, you are an oracle. Or, in the paraphrased words of Joseph Campbell, you are the shaman, 
called to dive into the magical underworld and face the demons we're not equipped to face ourselves, only to return with magical elixir that cures the soul's suffering from the mundane world of convention. Looks good on paper and all, but... The Panzer Nation is a breeding ground for the desperately contagious virus of imposter syndrome. When only the chosen may write, writer's block isn't a process to be worked through. It's a symptom that you're bullshitting your way through a story. A hack, a charlatan, a cheat, a phony. You don't deserve to write because, for whatever reason, you're not worthy. What's worse is writers who write by the seat of their pants tend to have the same weakness. Their endings suck. They spend all this time with character exploration and tangential digressions with dazzling poetic nuance, deep, sensual foreplay. Then leave you hanging, wondering where all the passion went. Sure, the writer got their rocks off, and every now and then there's a little gem. But for the most part, a pantser is a big cock tease. Or clip tease, whatever plumbing have you. Some pantsers just seem to give birth to works fully formed and effortlessly plotted. Looking at you, Bob Sands. But for most pantsers, writing is a dim lantern spelunking in a vast cavern of blackness, leaving just enough breadcrumbs for readers to follow. On the other side, we have the plotter tribes. Why tribes? This is where writers splinter into paradigmatic branches that range from Sid Field's The Screenwriter's Workbook to Robert McKee's audacious Story, David Trottier's The Screenwriter's Bible to Christopher Volger's The Writer's Journey to Blake Snyder's Screenwriting for Beginners' Save the Cat. And they all hate each other. United only by their contempt for the Panzer Nation. Each one of these paradigms are largely variations and elaborations on Aristotle's poetics. In essence, they extol the virtue of mapping out stories to conform to archetypal elements that represent a universal pattern and achieve emotional resonance, what Aristotle would have called catharsis. <coughs> See chapter 19. They take a kind of theoretical, dare I say, intellectual approach to story. They attempt to identify the patterns that occur in story and advocate adhering to those patterns. These patterns often become rules. It's the tradition that gave us deep and meaningful interpretations of stories that recontextualize narratives and help us to see more layers of poetry than initially presents itself. Looks good on paper and all, but... The plotter tribes often devolve into a kind of pharisaical rigidity that suffocates any spark of originality from the story. Plotters seem to fetishize outlining and formulas. For plotters, writing is a kind of literary autoerotic asphyxiation, choking themselves while they get their story rocks off. They think that by following the rules, they'll uncover some magical key to success. This is why so many thought leaders in screenwriting and novel writing groups are worshipped as gurus. Cults sprout up around these bastards like mushrooms in a fairy ring. The truth is, Following these paradigms to the tittle gives us formulaic fodder that is the cinematic equivalent of grinding your face into a belt sander. So who will win the story war? Both paradigms develop sacred values that describe an unspoken imperative. If you want to be a successful writer, follow this method. The truth is, pantsers and plotters aren't much different from each other. 
pantsers often plot out broad landmarks to reach in their stories. They usually have some ideas what happens in the story, they just don't write it down in an outline. They're responding to an intuitive outline. They just keep it all up in their head. And plotters are doing the work of mining their unconscious and immersing themselves in the characters and moments. They're just keeping a record of the process and tracking their ideas. In his masterwork, Hating, journalist Matt Taibbi listed as one of his ten rules for hate the following. There are only two ideas. His book is a brilliant deconstruction on the way corporate media controls the conversation by limiting the number of options we have to solve a problem and pitting them against each other like wrestlers. It's a bullshit tactic that works on teenagers, politicians, pundits and moderately educated people who have allowed their loyalties to compromise their critical thinking. It's an elaboration on the principle described in the Herman Chomsky classic Manufacturing Consent. It proposes that the media functions as a kind of propaganda wing of the government by pretending to represent the full spectrum of ideas by simply showing two sides arguing. Do we bomb the shit out of Country X or do we put boots on the ground and blow the shit out of it? These two ideas are represented as opposing views and they argue about it in a hypnotic loop for an entire relentless news cycle. What's never allowed to enter the conversation is whether we should be attacking Country X at all. The attack is a foregone conclusion. The argument is over the most effective means to deliver the payload. This applies to writing too. You see, there's a gold rush for writing right now. There's an explosion of streaming services and more venues than ever to watch content. Self-publishing has made it so anyone can become a writer. All they need to do is write the book and publish it with no overhead cost or gatekeeper to contend with. How many ads have you seen announcing you can make 10 grand in a month by selling e-books? How many times have you heard the story about Fifty Shades of Grey starting out as a fan fiction and then getting adapted to a dogshit movie that grossed ungodly buckets of cash? What most writers don't realise is the people who got rich during the California gold rush were not the gold miners. It was the assholes selling the picks and shovels. Just like the propagandist media, the self-help industrial complex has exploited the tribal rift between the panthers and the plotters and sold them one shovel after another. Don't get me wrong, this book is yet another shovel. But I like to think of it as more of a miner's kit. With a shovel, a map and a metal detector. Okay, I admit it. There is no nefarious agenda to divide writers into ideological tribes. The fact that the world of writing theory has divided itself into two major camps is the product of trying to articulate the conflict between our brain and our gut. It's an ongoing battle between intuition and rules. Discipline versus inspiration. I believe great writers never resolve that conflict. Instead, the act of creation is a seduction and a performance between these two aspects of ourselves. In this book, I'm going to present some methods, some tools, some principles and, dare I say, some rules. I like people who resist these rules. I know I did. It means you're fighting to protect your muse, your voice, your spark. Think of this book as a toolbox. Use the tools that work for you. Think of the structure as modular, changeable, adaptable to meet the needs of your story. 
The truth is, structure is just the shape of the bottle you pour your wine into. We tend to intuitively respond to great story. You can't quantify that. Everyone who works in story knows there are no rules. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, here are the rules for story. The complete story by numbers is available in audiobook, ebook, and print at cinematicore.com. Well, howdy, everybody. My name is Bo Thomas, and I'm the voiceover artist and narrator that recorded Story by Numbers by Adam Argot. And I'm here to promote myself. So if you ever need a voiceover artist for sort of anything, uh, you can get in touch. Uh, I do accents. That's my big thing. So I've, I've worked... Um, as an accent and dialect coach over here in the UK for a long time. So if you're worried that the kind of dulcet tones, dulcet being a strong word, of the British accent is not quite right for your project, I can do a series of uh, accents. Just promoting myself here, really. If you want to find me on anything, you can find me on LinkedIn, which feels very professional. Um, uh, or you could just shoot me an email. If you ever want to chat about something, chat about voiceover, chat about accents, uh, you can always shoot me an email at Thomas. V-O at gmail.com or Bo, that's B-E-A-U at accenthelp.co.uk Couldn't get .com, someone had taken it. But that's me. Uh, so yeah, uh, hit me up if you ever want something recorded or you want to chat about the voiceover industry, how to get into it or you want to chat about accents and how to do them. I can do it all! Uh, I hope to hear from some of you very soon.